If you've been with us in recent weeks, you know we've been working through a series, and we're going through just a little bit of review real quickly. We're in this passage where the Apostle Paul has been teaching, and he's been trying to uh, help the un- people to understand what God wants of them and what he's doing. And what he's doing, and particularly he's going to do in this passage, is going to make a lot of people really angry. Not just a little angry, but really angry. Because the Apostle Paul, who's a Jewish man, who was, you know, who was studied under Gamaliel, who had terrific training, has gone in a very different direction than most of the rabbis who thought he would ever go. And yet God is using him in a terrific way in the passage we're studying. Just to give a little bit of background from the last few weeks, you might remember that one passage we were ter- dealing with, it was talking about how dangerous it is for judging people, how easy it is to judge people. We see them and we think of something about them and then find out afterwards, you know, that maybe we were completely off. So it talks about how judging is very careful. We've got to be careful what we do because oftentimes we judge people without knowing the reality of their life. The second thing it talked about, it talked about the passage here was very interesting saying, if they all, when God is talking about all this judgment, it's not like God saying, gee, I just love judging people. That's such a wonderful thing to do. It says God's kindness is intended to lead to repentance. In other words, God wants people who are far from God to find life in Christ and recognizing their sin, and they would understand the gospel and know him well. So talking about the fact of repentance being important. The third thing is last week that we really hammered on with this whole issue of works how we are saved by God's grace, not by works, but I mean, we're saved by God's grace. It's not works. And there is a role for works, but works follow when we come to faith in Christ, as God gives us the strength. So we're saved by God's grace through faith, period. Once we come into that new relation with Christ, God, by his Holy Spirit, empowers us to be able to do good works, to have an impact on the people, sharing the gospel with people, doing what's helping people that are struggling. And so he's going through to make sure we understand, here's the basis of what he's talking about. And we're picking up our passage here, and the passage we're coming to here, where we're really seeing Paul, and many people understanding him as Paul the renegade. During that time when Paul was writing this, there would be many, many Jewish rabbis and Jewish people who would be furious because the apostle Paul is making statements and claims that many people, Jewish people think, I can't believe you're doing that. You're a renegade. You've lost it. You're off the track, Paul. Where are you getting this idea? We've got century after century of Jewish law that we understand. And and here you are upsetting the apple cart, and and you want us to follow you? And Paul's saying, yeah, I really do. Not following me, but following what God has said through the scriptures. And so Paul was basically in this passage is going to focus on two primary things where people thought, you know what, I'm really doing well because I've got A and I've got B. Let me show you what I mean by that. Paul is going to focus on two targets. One is the law. He's going to say, I know what all you guys are going to say, and particularly all you Jewish rabbis out there. You're going to say, Paul, what do you mean? The law is what God gave to us. Don't you remember in Exodus how God came in the fire and the smoke and God gave them the Ten Commandments and we had the Ten Commandments and the rest of the 300 of them and we have all this. We've had centuries of living by the law and now you're going to say that the law is not the most important thing that we could ever have? And Paul says, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to say. Well, it's no wonder that they hated him. And it's no wonder that he got himself in trouble. 
So the two targets that Paul had was saying, you know what, I know we love the law, we thank God for the law, the law, uh, the Old Testament is absolutely crucial for us to understand the new, all that is true. But he's saying, the law that you've made it now has changed, and because of that, it's going to have to be a change. The second, second thing he's going to talk about is circumcision. We're going to get this a little bit more, but this is a very important part, and he's going to talk about what does this mean? What is the significance about that? And there's really a third one that he brings in as well, saying, you know, as a Jewish person, you thought, okay, I've got the law, so we're good there. And if you're male, the Jewish, you're circumcised, you're good there. And because you're just a Jew, you are, have a special relationship with God. Paul is attacking all three of the things that they hold dear to their heart. That's very important. Paul is attacking three things that is crucially important to a Jewish person in the time of the Apostle Paul. We have the law, Paul. You've studied it. You've spent a long time studying the scriptures, and now you've turned away from it. You're a renegade. Paul, circumcision. Didn't God tell Abraham that we had to, every male had to be circumcised? Yes, he did. And now you're saying that doesn't matter? Paul says, listen to what I'm trying to say. They say, Paul, what's going on here? I said, well, you think you've got it really going because you've got this special relationship with God. There's us, the Jews, and then there's the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And he's saying, really? You know what? I'm going to take, I want you to understand that I'm going to try to take your apple cart and turn it over. And I'm going to do that with the scriptures. I want you to see what's really going on. So we're going to pick up this passage and where he's dealing with these special privileges. And Paul's going to go after them, not in an unkind way, but saying, listen to me. Listen to what the scriptures say. Are you really understanding it? And so he's going to deal with that. He's going to say, listen, I know that we, including himself, we are, from the, we are God's chosen people. We use that phrase, the seed of Abraham. These people are going to say, hey, you know, this goes back centuries, Paul. Look how long we've been Jewish people. Look how long that we have been the chosen people. Don't you get that idea? Chosen people, special people, we have the law. Paul says, yeah, I get all that. I get all that, but guess what? God is doing a new thing, and I can show you through the scriptures. And so this is a very important passage that Paul's going through, even though it can be, I understand, uh, a little bit deep at times. But let's pick up here. We're in verse 17. In Corinthians over following you in what he says here. And so now Paul is going to start kind of taking them on. And he says, okay, now you call yourself a Jew, and let's just stop right there. We know the word Jew, it comes from the word Judah, the word Judah, which crossed into, got brought down to the idea of Jew. Unfortunately, and sometimes like in American culture today, if you call somebody a Jew, you could do that in a negative sense. It was never meant to be that way. Tragically, by the way, and they would certainly be aware of this at eighth time, there's a rising anti-Semitism going in Europe, going on. Places in Germany, particularly other areas, and it's very, very tragic. There's been some killings. You know, you think after the Holocaust, after 1945 and all that happened in the Holocaust, these people would be the most careful about what they do and what they say. Unfortunately, there are groups there that are causing real trouble. And of course, right in America, too. There have been some really hate crimes things that have gone on against Jewish people. But the word Jew is not a bad word when we're talking about the Bible, because this is what he's talking about. He says, now, you call yourself a Jew. People would say, mm -hmm, right. You rest in the law. The Jewish friends there would say, yep, we do. We're thankful for that. God gave it to us. He'd say, you're correct, with you. He said, you know his will. Yep, we do. He tells us you're going to keep these laws, so we do it. 
He said, and he said, you approve the things that are superior. And they go, yep, we're doing that. We're doing pretty good, aren't we, Paul? Paul said, hang on there, please. Okay. He said, you are superior instructed from the law. They said, yep, like you, Paul, we went through great rabbinical training. We can know the scriptures back, forward, and forward. He said, okay, you're convinced that you're a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness? Well, they're saying, the rabbis, yeah, well, yeah, we sort of are. Why do you think we spent so many years studying? That's the whole point, that we could know the scriptures, right? Right. Well, you think that you're a, you're a guide to the blind? You're a light to those in darkness? He said, well, now, if you call yourself a Jew, and they said, well, that's where we are, and you rest in the law, that's what we're doing, and you boast in God, well, sure we boast, because we are the chosen people, and we know his will, yes, we do. We approve, approve of the things that are superior, be, right? Be instructed in the law, right, we're good. They're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness. I can hear Paul getting more and more sarcastic as he's saying this, okay? Why, you're a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the law and the full expression of knowledge and truth. You then, and here's where he goes, wham, you then, you teach others, do you not teach yourself? He said, you're really good about teaching, but what about this? Do you teach yourself what God wants for you? Are you looking at the scriptures and understanding what God is calling you to do and to be? He said, well, let's take an example. He said, all you rabbis there, you who preach, you must not steal. You must, excuse me. He says, you must not steal. He's taking this right out of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not da-da-da-da. And he says, wait a minute. Now, you who preach, all you guys like I am who are rabbi, you know what it says. You must not steal. And then he questions us, but do you steal? No, he's not saying that everybody who's a Jewish rabbi steals, but he said, people steal. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, for example, you go to the mall at Christmas time, you probably ought to not leave your purse on the top of your car for any long time. Okay? It's really easy to lose things or have things stolen. It's remarkable how much is stolen all the time around us. We almost, you know, yeah, it's bad. We know it's terrible, but it just goes with it. And Paul's saying, no, wait a minute. You're a rabbi, right? You preach. No, you must not steal, right? Right, we got that. We understand it. He said, but do you ever steal? Well, it maybe depends how you define that. He goes, no, 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 don't give me that kind of, a, kind of thing. Do you ever steal things? Well, sometimes maybe, but he said, well, so you're saying that you make mistakes too, right? You fail too, right? Well, sort of. So Paul's starting to grill him a little bit. Well, you must not steal. He says, well, do you steal? You who say, you must not commit adultery. That's right out of the Ten Commandments. And it says, well, do you commit adultery? And of course, he's saying, yeah, just like it happens now, it happened then. Then people were not faithful in their marriage relationships. And he's saying, wait a minute. You're the one that says, that's against the law. Don't do that. Says, but do you maybe break that law of adultery, being unfaithful to your spouse? People are going, well... Well, that, that, yeah, you know, maybe, yes, well, yeah, that's kind of private, don't really want to talk about that. He says, Paul, no, let's talk about that. The reality is, he said, you, you preach that law, but you don't live that law. Now, some of them were better than others, for sure. But he says, do you see what's happening? He says, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? Now, by the way, that last phrase is, I better call it odd. It says, do you rob their temples? 
We don't know of a lot of Jewish people robbing temples because they hated those temples. Those are the very things the Romans and the Greeks worshiped at, and they know that. So I'm not sure exactly going what's meaning there. It possibly has something like this. It could be when he's talking about what were they robbing was they were robbing the fact that every year they had to take a special offering to give to the temple to keep it running, to keep it going. And some of them were better than others than paying their bills each year. Some were in making sure they, or didn't, they didn't give the whole money. So he's saying, but what about you? You're supposed to give this amount of money. Do you give that every year for the temple? And they go, well, sort of. I give some of it. Paul says, oh, then you're not keeping the full law. Is that true? And they'd have to say, well, to be honest, I guess that's true. And so he says, okay, let me go again. Verse 23 says, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? In other words, you're the great rabbis, right? You think you're terrific. You've got every, you're, you're bulletproof, right? He says, really? He says, you know what? Verse 24, as it is written, and he quotes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 51, he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, because of you. So do you understand your sin, your failure, has had people who are not Jewish people, who people you ought to be letting the unders know what God is doing for you. He said, you know, the name of God's blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. By the fact that you preach, do this, and you preach that, and you preach that, and you're so proud of this. And he says, wait a minute. He said, you know what? The, the Gentiles look at you and go, they're not that much different than we are. There's nothing so great about them. And Paul says, you've got to be really careful what's happening here. For he says in verse 25, this is an interesting phrase. Stay with me. For circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, well, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Any Jewish rabbi who would hear that said, that's blasphemy. That's not true. Paul's saying, it is true. Here's why. He said, you think circumcision is important. And it is, by the way. I mean, it was very important at that time. I had an interesting situation. I think this before Kathy and I were married. I was teaching a Bible study. And we were ha I can't remember if it was exactly this passage, but it was one very much like it. It talked a lot about circumcision. So we went through this whole passage. We went through it. And at the end, I probably shouldn't have asked, but I said, does anybody have any questions? And I probably should have stopped there. And this guy put up his hand and said, yes. What did you mean by the circumcisions? I said, no, circumcision. He goes, yeah. He goes, well, could you explain to me what that is? I said, well. Yeah, I mean, I can explain it to you. And a child when it's born on the eighth day, and they do a little surgical thing, and, and it's a sign in the covenant. And he goes, are you telling me that that's in the Bible? I said, yeah, it is really big in the Bible. In fact, it's very important. It is the sign of the covenant that says you're in. You're part of God's people if you're a male. He goes, they put that in the Bible? I said, there's a lot of other things you're going to see in the Bible that you're not going to be surprised about. But so what he's saying here, Paul, is very important. Your circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. He said, but if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcised. Now, like, you can't be uncircumcised. Well, literally you can, but let's not go there. But in general, that's the truth. And his point is, he's saying, wait a minute. He said, you know what? You think you're bulletproof. Nothing can happen to you. And he's saying, you know, the fact is that maybe you, you said, you said, but if you're a lawbreaker, Really, your circumcision doesn't mean anything. Now, again, a rabbi would say, that's not true. As long as you've got, as a male, you've got that mark on your body, you're good. You don't have to worry about it. Paul says, no, you need to worry about it. 
Because what God is wanting, he's not going to say just because you keep that laws or the people kept the laws 400 years ago doesn't mean that God does not want to change something today. And so that's exactly what he's doing. He said, for circumcision benefits, and he talks about, about how every male, he talked about in Genesis 17, how every one of your males must be circumcised. In fact, God says, my covenant will be marked in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. It's a great verse. And Paul's saying, yep, I know that verse. It's a great verse. We love that verse. He said, but I want to tell you something. You who are thinking we're bulletproof because as males, we've got the mark on our flesh. Because we've got the scriptures, we've got all this, we're good. Paul said, it's not going to be that way. God is doing a new thing among his people. And he's saying, you better be careful because see what's happening here. Nobody says, this is, by the way, it's a very serious deal. It was a really big thing for these people to understand. What happens? For example, an ancient writing, a Jewish writing called the Exodus Rabbah, it has a thing saying, what about people who, when they die, what happens? Well, this rabbi wrote this. No person who is circumcised will go down to Gehenna. Gehenna is like hell in their, their language. He said, no person who is circumcised will go to hell. What if the person is a mass murderer? The rabbi says, nope, he's going to get to heaven. He's going to be okay, too. He's not going to go to hell, either. And they go, really? Is that, is that really the truth? In other words, they made it so like, listen, as long as you're a guy and you got the mark, you're bulletproof. Don't worry about it. Oh, so you've been running around with everybody's wife for the last two years, and you think you're still going to go to heaven? He goes, yeah, yeah. As long as you got the mark, it doesn't matter. And Paul's going, that is crazy. God wants our hearts to be open to him. He wants us to be able to have a life that's honoring to him. And so Paul is going right at him. I'm sure they were coming back right at him, but of course they hated him too. But notice what he says in this verse. For circumcision benefits you if you observe the law, but if you're a lawbreaker... Your circumcision has become your circumcision has become uncircumcised. Well, you can't literally do that, but his point is it doesn't count. You're thinking you're bulletproof. You're not. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man, a Gentile, a Jewish man, now let's say they're Jewish man, but a, 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 a let's say uh, somebody who's not that, so maybe he's a Greek, a Greek guy. They say, listen, if an, a Greek guy is keeping the law when you're not, he says, what do you think is going to happen? He said, his. It says his. Will be uncircumcised will not be counted with circumcision. In other words, okay, you know, you think you've got it all taken over in all place, you know. And he's saying no. He's saying that Gentile that you despise, that guy is keeping the law, and you're not. So who do you think is the one that God's going to honor with all that? And they said, got the law, got the circumcision, we're good. Paul says you're not good, and it's not going to help you, and you need to recognize what God is doing. And so he goes on with this in Exodus verse 27. Now notice what he's saying here. A man who is physically uncircumcised, he's a Gentile, Greek, Roman, something, but he's not Jewish. A man who's physically uncircumcised, but who fulfills the law, like he's really doing the good things. The Jewish guy's not doing it, but the Gentile, the non-Gentile, is doing it. He will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. Notice those words, law and circumcision. Those are the two big things. You got that? You're good. You're bulletproof. Paul's saying, it ain't true. It's not true. You're a, he said, you have the letter of the law and circumcision. You think that's going to do it all. And Paul said, it's not true. Now, notice what he says here. For a person who is not a Jew, who is one outwardly, excuse me, for a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly and true, 
Circumcision is, something, is not something visible in the flesh. In other words, he's saying it's not a physical thing that matters here. It's the heart. It's desire to what we want to do to serve God. And he says, on the contrary, verse 29, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. That verse right there, verse 29, would make a rabbi go crazy. It's not true. Okay, we are the chosen people, Paul. Don't you remember? Yes, I do. And you remember you're a male? You're circumcised, right? Yes, I was. And I, well, I am circumcised, yeah. Okay, and you're part of God's people, right? And he says, so are you living what God has called you to do? No, but we're going to get there. We're going to get to heaven. Everything's going to be fine because we're Jews. That's all you need to know. Paul says, that's not enough. He said, the fact is, God is now bringing people into relationship with him who aren't Jews, who are living better lives than you are. And he's saying, and because of that, he said, what you're going to find out, he said, is you have this sense of we are bulletproof because we've got this, this, and this. And Paul says, kick it out, get rid of it, it's done. And you need to realize that God is doing a new thing. And notice that last phrase. He, sa he said, you, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. In other words, it's not so much about physical things. It's about the heart. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. Now, it's not like Paul's making this up. There's several passages we have in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah, we have it in Isaiah, where it talks about God as saying, cleanse your heart, about cha changing your heart, having your heart changed. I mean, there's all through the Old Testament. Paul's not bringing a new uh, teaching there so much as he's saying, you haven't lived up to what it says here. And so he said, on the contrary, a person who's a Jew, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not a letter. Just, yep, you got, all your, you got all your stuff, you got all your books and all the stuff that's written there. That's great. We're so glad that we have that. We're grateful for it. But he said, you know what? Where's your heart? He keeps coming back to saying, they keep saying, I've got this, I got A, I got B, I C, I'm bulletproof, things are good. And Paul says, you're not true. It's not true. He's saying, what you need is God wants a person whose heart is open to God, a person whose life is open to him. Say, Lord, you're mine. I, you do with me as you want, and I will follow you. And Paul's saying, that's what really matters. It's no wonder that people chased him out of places and towns, that they tried to kill him, that he was shipwrecked. He went through all this because he said, you know what? This was my life. My life was to be a rabbi. I have my generation, my father, my grandfather, my great father, go on all the way down the line. We're all great Jews. We're all from that people of Abraham. And now Paul's saying, you know what? It doesn't count. Those things are nice. But what God wants is a person whose heart is open to him. And so he says, a Jew who is one inwardly, not spirit physically, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. Paul is making a revolutionary statement about what God wants for his people. And you can see why people would be furious to have the Apostle Paul going around from church to church preaching what he does. And you can see why there's people that just have real problems with that. 
You know, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is dealing with his own people, the Jewish people, and saying, you know, there's all this presumption in your part. The presumption is, got the ticket. My ticket is, I'm Jewish, I can trace it all the way back, if you want, to the book of Exodus. Then they don't do that. Another thing, male, got it. Had the surgery. Okay? Okay, from the right families, right. You got it all. We're all right. Paul says, not true. He said, it's presumption on your part. And God's not going to honor it. He wants to know, do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart to serve God and to honor him in all that you do? Paul's saying, you've got to be careful. And we've got to be careful. Let's take it to different, different, two different levels on this. Think about the presumption that we have as a people in America. Now, many of us would not say this. Some of us would not maybe, maybe believe it. But we have a certain sense of presumption of saying, you know, we are the biggest, you know, most important country in the world. And, you know, we are the most special. We're that, you know, light upon the hilltop kind of deal. And that's America. And you say, yeah, well, you know, Paul can tell you something about that. I mean, if he's alive here to talk to us. But what about Rome? They thought Rome was going to be there forever, and now you can go look at the ruins. You can go back and look at the Greek ruins. You can go back as far as you want and see all these different ruins. None of them last forever. And unless we're here when Christ returns, you know, it could be that America's gone by that point. I hope it doesn't happen that way. But there's almost a sense of presumption of saying, well, because we are the most important, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you don't have an idea that you have no truth that that's going to happen. So even on things doing with the bigger picture of even our world thing, we don't know what God's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen to us. But he said, okay, well, take it down from the big, big picture to the smaller picture of who we are as people. He's saying, wait a minute, what do you think God is doing? What's going on here? And so when he's talking about this presumption, he particularly says, now let's talk about us as individuals, about the things that we do. It was interesting. I was looking for um, one article and I found it, and it was not exactly the one I thought it was. But this guy, his name was Dane Olney. I don't know much about him. But he had an interesting thing. He's a blogger, and he's a popular blogger. But he had an interesting thing talk about the fact, presumption, this idea that we have that, that you know, we have got everything that we need to have. And here's, let me just read a little portion of what he did. He's talking about this fact, how we as believers like the people that he's describing. I've got this, I got this, okay? I was, you know, born from Christian parents. I went to Sunday school. I went to a Christian school. I went to seminary. I did this and I went that. And God, aren't you lucky to have a person like me? And God's going, oh, they, you don't get it, do you? But you don't get it. I mean, I used to put, you know, I sent out, you know, you know different books to people and I tried to witness to people. And, you know, just to be honest, God, I'm a pretty darn good person, and you're really lucky to have someone like me. And God says, you know, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. Look what this writer did. I think this is helpful what he wrote. He's, again, he's using this whole theme of circumcision with our passages today. Here are the Jewish people saying, we're bulletproof, got the mark. Okay, got the, the whole line of people, we're good. He said this. This is heady stuff, isn't it? But let me ask the obvious. Where in any of that do we find a single cause for boasting? He said, where in circumcision, righteousness, faith, regeneration, baptism, and union with Christ, do we have Christians any claim for pride? Nowhere. 
In other words, we can say, yeah, weren't those Jewish people terrible like that for doing that? Paul's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, I'm talking about now. I'm talking about you, the people who are living right now. He said, so this is the error of the, error of the Pharisees and the Judaizers. He said, they were boasters. To them, circumcision was an identity instead of a symbol of their, of their identity. Simply, circumcision became an idol. See, I got the mark. That's my idol. I can do anything I want. I'm good. Paul said, that's not true. He said, simply, simply, circumcision becomes an idol, a good thing gone bad by giving God's place. He says, ultimately, however, all idols are symptoms of an ultimate idolatry of self. I like that. It's a good phrase. He said, so, Christians, what about you? Especially you Reformed Christian. This guy is very Calvinistic, who's writing this article. But he puts it around. He said, so, Christian, what about you? Well, especially you Reformed Christians. He said, that's probably I know you're Reformed because you're the only people who made it this far in the article. So thank you for saying that. He said, you've got your strong belief about the sovereignty of God, right? Yep. And salvation in Christ. Yep. Penal substitutionary atonement. Yep. Got it all good. Whew. I'm doing good, aren't I, God? And he says, are you a Pharisee with just better doctrine? Ooh. Does your theology make you smug? Not me, of course, but I'm sure there's other people that struggle with that issue. He said, does it exclude people shutting the kingdom of heaven in their faces? The gospel that circumcision prefigures is a stunning paradox as spiritually dead, wrath-deserving sinners, saved by nothing but the majestic grace of God who gave us new life when we were hell-bent and usurping his throne, our faith should drive us to deeper chasms of humility. I love that phrase. Drive us to deeper chasms of humility than the materialist should. His point is, it appears that he says, as we have to be very careful what we do. We can become the very people we just talked about. Got the mark, got this, A, B, and C, everything's good. I'll say, wait a minute, be very, very careful. Humility and a life that's given to Christ is what he's looking for. He said, so, Christian, what about you? Especially you Reformed Christians. Oh, no, excuse me, I just mixed that up. Oh, here he goes. He goes, you. He goes, what about this? He said, what about you? Mean Christian? Cocky Christian? Cowardly Christian, better look to Christ. Look at the exalted one. Walk with the swagger and limp that one has when the cross alone is their boast. Now notice what he says, this will be done. Circumcision was a gift of God that became an idol to many, but became truer and greater when Christ came. These truths of God should blow your mind, but labor to rest in Jesus. And don't take any credit for your faith in these truths other than the righteousness that God credits to your account. Make your boast in him and love others as he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite verses, and we'll close in this. Many of you know this verse well. It's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you had it, why do you boast as you hadn't received it? In other words, just think about your life. What is it you have that you had that you earned spiritually? Paul say zero, zilch, nothing, nada. It's all mercy. It's all grace. He said, what do you have that you didn't receive? And why do you boast if you hadn't received it? It's something to think about as we think about the Lord. 
Father, we're grateful for the scriptures you've given us. Father, here we're dealing with the situation of 2,000 years ago, thinking that they're all bulletproof because they do A, B, and C, instead of realizing that you're calling us to a living relationship with you. And so, Father, we would ask that you would be with us and you would help us and encourage us. Strengthen us, we pray. Help us, we pray. Help us, we prepare our hearts for the uh, Lord's Supper, too, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.